Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. Look who's with us, Aaron Vickers, for the first time this week from NHL.com. Hi, Vix. Feels like I'm putting in a shift this week, buddy. Just going uh, 10 feet outside. Feels like you put in a shift. I mean, I was there. Uh, Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit calgarylockandsafe.com slash doors. We are coming at you from our... Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studio. And this hour of Flames Talks available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so the Flames pound the Arizona Coyotes 6-2 on Thursday night. That was as dominant a win as we've seen from the Flames this year. And as that game was going on, something else Really cool was happening at the Scotiabank Saddledome, and that's how we're kicking off this hour inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Uh, it was a big night for the Flames in the desert and a big night at the Dome in minus 33 uh, for Oliver Shillington as he returned to professional game action with the Calgary Wranglers for the first time in almost 20 full months. Wranglers beat the Ontario Reign 3-2. to two. Now, I was not able to be there. We had a Flames broadcast, so we were focused on the Flames and Coyotes on Thursday night. But you know who was there was Aaron Vickers. You were at the Scotiabank Saddledome, and uh, you were on Shillington Watch. Just uh, take us back to Thursday night. Tell us all about it, because that was a, a really special night for number 58. Yeah, before we even get into what he was able to do on the ice, there were just a couple of moments, even pregame, that kind of warmed your heart a little bit, whether it was the ovation when he hit the ice for warm-up, he was in the starting lineup and was announced in the starting lineup. Another big uh, ovation for him. For the, the few that were in attendance, it was a little chilly yesterday, Pat, so attendance maybe not necessarily where you'd want to be, but... The sole fact that every time that, you know, popping up for warm-ups or being on that blue line for the opening anthem and having your name called, there were cheers. The fans, the faithful, were very aware that it was Oliver Shillington's first in-game action in nearly 20 months, and, and they showed their appreciation and support accordingly. So Good. a tip of the cap to the Wrangler slash Flames fans that were there to, to salute Oliver Shillington in his return to pro hockey um, just touch, and there was just some couple of videos and whatnot that were circulating around Twitter. And the one that I kind of go back to is he's just standing on the blue line, waiting for the anthem. The lights are dimmed. Mark Pissick is on the bench right in front of him. I don't know if they were having a conversation or what the nature of what was going on, but you could just see the smile on Shillington's face to to be back on the ice, be back as part of a team, and to play hockey. So some things are bigger than the game itself. And to me, it was the ovation from the crowd. It was seeing Shillington out there. It was him smiling and and just sort of absorbing everything. So the biggest takeaway, first and foremost, for me was just the sheer presence of him being back on the ice. And I think it was important to note. Okay. And then how'd it look on the ice? So the one thing I was looking for the most, it isn't his skating or his hands or his conditioning. It was, are the instincts still there? When you're not thinking the game and you're reacting, are your instincts from where he left us in May of 2022 still present in his game? That was the number one thing I was looking yep. for because, again, the legs will come, the hands will come, the conditioning will come. And to I guess to a degree, you can argue that the instincts will round out as he ramps up and the competition gets better. But I wanted to see if he's instinctually doing the things he was doing before. And absolutely. He was there. He knew when to jump. He knew when not to jump. He knew how to avoid incoming checkers. Just like if you had told me it was his first game back after 20 months, and I'll be it. I'll throw a little caveat that it isn't at the NHL level, but it's still high quality hockey. But just sort of everything that you've come to expect from his shiftiness, from his instinct of when to go, when not to go, um, even just eluding four checkers. 
um, his puck control, those sort of things, just how he processed the game at a high speed was there. And I think that was an important thing for him. Again, there are some other elements that I think you can just look at and go, okay, this is a guy that hasn't played in 20 months. Mm -hmm. And if he gets three or four or five more games, some of these things will be non-issues or cleared up. They're not really even an issue at this point, to be perfectly honest, but you can see a couple of things that maybe need refining or, you know, just with more reps and, and more comfort and, and just getting back into the full swing of things that he's, there's nothing that I saw on Thursday night at the Saddle Dome leads me to believe he can't and won't be the exact same guy that we saw back in May of 2022 and back when he was a number four defenseman paired alongside Chris Tanev and an integral part of that Calgary Flames defense. Well, and I mean, just uh, talking to Megan Mickelson over the last uh, last week or so since this is becoming uh, or this has become more and more of a possibility and just, you know, Mick's come back a, yep. a few times from injury. She came back from uh, a pretty catastrophic knee injury. She came back from... Uh, I think what did she say? She was off for like twenty three months or something like that after um, after uh, giving birth to her first child and and came back and and if you are an elite athlete, if you are an Olympic level athlete and and gold medal winning athlete like Megan is or an NHL level athlete like Oliver is, it honestly is. I I, I don't think it's all that inaccurate to describe it like riding a bike this is what these humans are born to do so yeah it's like it's like uh you if you don't write for two <laughs> two Been years there, yeah. are, well not are, that long but well, okay give but me you, two weeks but if you don't write it's not like you forget how to do it and forget how to construct an article and and forget like it takes a little bit to get everything back to exactly all the synapses firing but if i I if if I'm gone from doing this and blabbing my stupid mouth for a little for a little while, it's not like you forget how to do it. So it's it's yeah, it obviously takes some time. But this whole narrative that well, he'll never be the same. And how is Oliver ever going to come back? Lots of guys have come back from a year and a half off before. Lots of guys have come back better than ever. Lot Mark Savard. I, I just think of Mark Savard, the assistant coach of the Calgary Flames, and you know he had to miss. Plenty of time over his career and, and spent chunks and huge chunks of time away. Came back, was still a high-end hockey player. Lots of pro athletes, elite-level athletes do it. So we shouldn't be surprised right. that Oliver Shillington came back and looked like his instincts were still there. Because where would they have gone? Like, where, where are they going to go? The guy was born to play hockey. Where, where are these instincts going to go? Um, you know, maybe the most positive thing for me, I didn't get an opportunity to watch it like you did. Um, I only saw some highlights and, and saw some of the videos online, but you sent me Thursday night from the Saddle Dome. You sent me his post game. We played it on Flames Talk post game following the uh, Flames and Coyotes and just listening to Oliver talk after the game. That was the most positive thing for me. He sounded like an upbeat, fresh, excited guy that he's, he was ready for this. And he's ready to be back and doing this again. Here's a little bit of Oliver Shillington after his first pro game in more than a year and a half from Thursday night. So easy. Uh, the guys here are so uh, so nice, and uh, it's a good group, and they're very tight. So they welcome me uh, very nicely. So yeah, it's been easy. What was the anticipation like, Oliver, leading up to this day for you? I felt pretty relaxed. I mean, I I uh, I trust my instinct and. Uh, uh, know what I can deliver so I, I just try to trust that and, and just have fun out there so um, yeah I didn't try to paint the picture bigger than than it is what was that first shift like for you what was running through your mind as your in-game situation uh, make a good first pass and then join the rush <laughs> <laughs> no I just try to make a good play and then just join and then uh, yeah I just I just try to keep it simple in the beginning and and uh, yeah get my feet underneath me and then and, and just keep going so yeah did is you, it like did... riding a bike like, does it just feel natural once you're back out there doing it uh yeah yeah so so yeah I mean I've been working hard off off dice and and, and you know uh, with the coaches so I've uh, it's always different when you play a game, right? So uh, I just try to keep it simple from the beginning, and then I felt that the game came to me a little bit quicker. So uh, uh, I felt pretty good for a first game. I was going to say, how do you, how do you judge the pace of, of play? I know it's 
your first game in about 20 months or so to feel like you're right there yeah i feel good i mean uh, pace wise it's not a problem to be honest it's just uh uh, you know timing and, and stuff like that but that comes with being more on the ice and, and playing so uh, that will come back to me but uh for first game i actually felt solid so yeah is having that first game out of the way just give you that sort of sense of i can do this yeah i mean yeah for sure i mean i felt that before this game but but uh uh it was nice to get this over with and and i just want to keep building and and look forward to the future yeah did you did you hear from anyone, Oliver? Whether it was guys on the Flames or anyone in your hockey world uh, ahead of tonight's game? Yeah, I mean, a couple of guys reached out, and, and yeah, a lot of family and friends too. So it's nice to get a boost from them, and, and uh, yeah, nice to feel some love. I know it was a small crowd, but they they gave you a pretty loud ovation yeah. when they announced you. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, the fan base here in Calgary and and just people around uh, the city and they've been so nice and supportive when I've when I've ran into them so uh, I appreciate all the support I really do there's a little bit of Oliver Shillington post game on Thursday you're just happy for the guy right yeah. like you uh, you were just talking to me while we were listening to Oliver speak there is it felt like the felt like kind of the the same Oliver Shillington vibes that we were used to before energy and and just felt like you you could pick up on the excitement that he was feeling after uh, after his first game, hey? Yeah, having been around Shillington since essentially he was drafted to join the Calgary Flames in what was that, 2015? 20, 2015. 20, time flies when you're having fun. Yep, it was the it was sort of the same buzz and same energy that you've grown to know and love Shillington through his tenure in the Calgary Flames organization, whether it would have been time in Stockton. Um, him finally breaking through and becoming a full-time member of the Flames. It just had that same, he had the same aura, I guess, is what I'm trying to work or work to is, you know, he came up and, and, and did media. There was a pretty decent contingent of media people uh, watching him with the Wranglers on Thursday night. And it was just the energy he displayed and the sort of aura that he had was, I mean, you could have told me it was 2016. You could have told me it was 2019. You could have told me it was... 2024 now and it, it just it, felt like is. the same oliver shillington that i've been around since he's been a member of the organization super happy for him glad even though it was a um smaller minus 33 affected yeah. crowd uh, i'm glad that he got a nice ovation and uh I, i'm glad that this is just another big signpost this is just another big step taken and another check mark hit as as he tries to come back and i'm really i'm really really happy for him and i just hope that it keeps on progressing and it just keeps on moving closer and closer and i don't say that because of oh the flames need him or i i want to see him back it's more it's more just if he returns to nhl action this year it means that he is ready to return to NHL action, which means he has taken so many huge strides in his own well-being yeah. over the last little bit, and and that should be celebrated because I, I I think that I don't think it can be understated just how brutal a battle the guy was in. It's cool to see people win. It's cool to see people overcome. It's uh, cool to people to see people get through that fire and walk through it. So good on him. And it raises the question, what comes next for Oliver from here? So this is, here's kind of how I understand it and doing some digging. And um, so his LTIR conditioning assignment officially ended Thursday after the game. So after that game that he played in his first game in almost 20 months, 20 months rather, that officially ended his LTIR conditioning stint. But you do have the ability as a team to apply for an extension. I do believe the team did apply, has applied for an extension to that. And I, I think the assumption is that they're going to have that granted. So um, I, I believe they have applied and there's no reason to think that they wouldn't give them that extension. This is a very unique circumstance, and and I, I can't imagine the NHL wouldn't sign off or give the check mark on that. So I think it's safe to assume that they're they're going to get the extension from the league, which means that they would get another two uh, two team games for Oliver to remain on this conditioning assignment. Which means that they have got a game on this Friday night as we're talking. And then they play next Friday night on the road. So essentially would extend the amount of time he could be around the group and on a conditioning assignment and remain on LTI in the NHL for another week. Um, 
So that that gives a little bit more time for him to continue to get up to speed. Uh, I know the Wranglers play on Friday night. I would just caution that this uh, he's coming off his first professional game in more than a year and a half. And the the mental side of things and the fact that it was a great experience and he was smiling and he, that's awesome and a huge step. But also the body hasn't played a high level yeah. hockey game in in you know twenty months, so I, I don't I don't necessarily think there is a huge rush to play him again necessarily, um, especially back to back. You just wonder how he's feeling after um, after Thursday night's game where he played. He was getting power play time. Um, it's not like he was it's not like he was dipping his toe back in. He was jumping into rushes as you were saying. He was evading defenders, all that type of stuff. So um, you just uh, there's no need to there's no need to rush him back. So if he doesn't play on Friday night, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that there's anything um, that anything's gone sideways. It just means that you also have to do what's best for the physical side of things. And guy hasn't played in more than a year and a half. So I would just caution that that um, if he is not in Friday night's lineup, that's okay too. It doesn't change the return to play plan that he's on right now. No, I sort of, whether this is correct or incorrect, I kind of liken it a little bit to training camp and how many veterans do you see play consecutive games, never mind back-to-back games in the preseason. So I, if he does play Friday, great. That means he's, you know, guns blazing, what have you. But I can just see from any sort of other standpoint where you don't play a, a veteran NHLer in back-to-back games in training camp. And again, as you mentioned, this is his first game back in over a year and a half. I wouldn't necessarily put the expectation in, on him playing two games in a span of 27 hours, just from a management standpoint. Again, this is his first live reps against opponents that aren't guys you're sharing a dressing room with, you're not battling with in practice. So I would operate under the assumption that, you know, playing a guy in back-to-back games after such a long layoff isn't necessarily beneficial. Well, and I mean, again, I just wanted to make sure that we caution that if he's not in Friday's lineup against Ontario, that doesn't mean that the return to play has been sidetracked or gone sideways. Um, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different things that come into this when ramping a guy back up after being away for as long as he has and and the other thing is ramping a guy up to get back into action with other professional hockey players who have been playing since Octo- September October right like that's the other part you're not as as Connie Craig Conroy told us when we were at targets for kids over the summer like had Oliver been ready to come back in the fall well, then everybody's getting back up to speed. It right. doesn't really matter how long that, that he missed last season or not. Everybody is ramping up for the start of the season. Well, they've all ramped up. They're in mid-season form, literally. The Flames are more than midway through the season. Wranglers are midway through the season. So guys are in mid-season conditioning, mid-season form. They've been playing high-level hockey um, two, three, four times a week since October. So it just physically to match that takes a little bit of time. So there's a little... I, there's definitely load management that needs to go on when it comes with, with Oliver too. So that's, that's an important thing to remember as this goes along too. The other element is it it's not like he was particularly managed against the Ontario rain on Thursday night. Like he was on the top power play unit. He was killing penalties. He was skating a regular shift. I don't have his time on ice figures, but if I were to ballpark it, I would probably put it, he played probably somewhere between 20 and 22 minutes. So it wasn't an easing in process either. Like he got the full meal deal in his return with the Wranglers as he should. And it was, you know, that's sort of the expectation I think is when he is in the lineup, you're going to use him how you would probably use him in the NHL. There's no slow pros, like put him in, get him reps. That's why you have him in the games is to work on the things like the conditioning, his angles, his outlet passes when you're facing a four check, so on and so forth. Like you're working through situations you haven't faced in almost 20 months. So why am I only going to give you 10 or 12? Like the organization needs to give him a workload that makes sense because it exactly can be the scenario that he's going to face if it's not immediately, if, and when he returns to the Calgary flames or the NHL, but at some point, if, and when he does, he's not an eight minute a night defenseman. He's an 18 minute a night defenseman in the NHL last we saw. And again, from what I saw of him on Thursday, other than just getting reps and getting up to speed and 
fixing some of the things that come naturally with the fact of not playing, whether it's four months or 14 months or 16 months, those reps will help him get back up to game speed. And eventually, if and when he does return to the Flames and or the NHL, that's where he's going to be. He's going to be upward in the teens, nearing yeah. on the 20s. So use him that way in the AHL because that's probably how you're going to use him in the NHL. Um, so, yeah. Now they have to also manage the physical load and, and how that continues and how he progresses there. So uh, we'll see when he gets into his next game in the American League. He's got two more opportunities on if, if, this, um, if this extension is granted, as, as we assume it will be. Um, he's got two more opportunities on that extension to get into games uh, on this Friday night and next Friday night. Maybe he doesn't get into either. Maybe they just use it as an opportunity for him to practice in the American League. And then, you know, one week from as we're talking right now, then that'll be when the Flames probably the, the last that that's kind of like the deadline as to when they would have to activate him off of LTIR if they want to start bringing him back into NHL practices with the big team uh, and or sending him on a regular conditioning stint yes. uh, where he could then be in the American League for two weeks and get some games. And the important thing with a regular conditioning stint as opposed to an LTI conditioning stint, which is what he's on right now, the LTI conditioning stint allows a player to stay on LTI. And, and this is basically, and, and so it does not count on the cap, does not count on the roster cap. And what it essentially does is allows a team to evaluate where a player is and whether or not they should be thinking about removing him from long-term injury reserve. Um, so that is what this is for. For him to go on a regular conditioning assignment, that's like to truly ramp up and you have to be activated off of LTI. You have to be cap compliant with the player. So the player now counts on your cap and as on your active roster. Exactly. So those are the differences. And so that is another potential next step. But I guess the next step when this conditioning assignment ends, um, if, if we assume the extension goes till Friday, then he would get activated off of LTI then they could go in a lot of different directions. Practice with the NHL team for a week, then go on a conditioning assignment, then make a debut at some point. I guess I guess what I'm saying is it's not linear. I don't think there is a um, finite timeline in any way, shape, or form here. However, I, I don't think it's also crazy to think, well, maybe after All-Star break, we're having a conversation about when maybe he's ready to jump back into an NHL lineup. I, again, I want to caution that I say I don't think that's that's um, I don't think that's unrealistic necessarily, but I also don't think that that's something that you should be ironclad on because of how nonlinear this whole thing is. Yeah, there's a return to play plan, like we've said for Oliver Shillington. This is part of it. We're not obviously privy to the remainder of it, nor should we be. And this will happen in due time with Shillington's comfort level, with uh, how the Flames are interpreting things as well. I wouldn't be surprised, as you mentioned, to see down the road a situation where he is activated and then does another conditioning stint like you said a regular AHL conditioning stint we've seen it before with players in all sorts of different scenarios and I think that's one that'll fit Shillington again he looked instinctually like the guy we saw there still needs to be a little bit of the timing a little bit he looked very fluid out there the skating stride that we've come to know and love was there I don't think it was there 100% of the time. So there's elements that he'll still be working on in live game reps that I think are very important in terms of the steps to getting back to the NHL. But again, to just kind of capital off, man, was it ever good to see him back out there again. Good on him and uh, happy for him. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop it online or in store today. A few texts at 969.60. Mike says, think it makes a lot of sense to trade Hannafin by the trade deadline uh, now, and by then, Oliver should be ready to take his spot. Again, I don't want to, I don't think you want to connect the two. A, B, I don't think that you want to necessarily assume that should or would be available by any certain point. And B, I, I think that you need to make your Hannafin decision independent of anything else other than whether or not you want Hannafin to be here long term or not. That's you know, that 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 needs to be happening independent of Oliver's status or Chris Tanev's status or anybody anybody else. It needs to is Hannafin a core member of this team going forward? Should he be an eight year member of this team going forward or not? 
the way that whole thing is going right now, um, it, it wouldn't. I've I've heard in some some circles wouldn't be surprised if there's a resolution by All Star break. I've I've also heard from other people they're like ah maybe maybe it's not as close as as um, some people are hoping it is. Like it just it's there's clearly some smoke here. There's clearly a framework of a deal that was pretty close to being signed back in October that is still being worked on right now, and and we'll see. Like I think that there's clearly the door was never slammed shut on Hannafin. And the door remains open as we move towards the uh, towards the trade deadline or towards the All Star break. And this text says, "Shout out Mark Russell, Calgary kid, a star in two of his three games. Let's go! He scored the game winner in the three two win over Ontario on Thursday night." Yeah, just a couple uh, couple of minutes left in that game too. It was tied yeah. tied two two late in the third. I thought we were going to get a little bonus action. I wouldn't have minded some see a little shilly uh, shilly three on three and yeah. see how he wheels around there because there were some glimpses in that game. Where it can you say vintage for a guy that's played 160 some odd NHL games? Sure, it was vintage Oliver Shillington on a few rushes and a few plays that he had out there. A few other things. Um, here is uh, I, I just you know what you don't have to take my potential list lessons as gospel, but I feel like I need to say these things to me so that I remember these things, which I I, I think I'm getting getting better and better the older that I get. But maybe, maybe with Yegor Sharangovich scoring three goals on Thursday night, with Yegor Sharangovich up to 17 on the season, on pace for like 33 goals this year, having a hell of a run since about mid-November, maybe we shouldn't be judging trades 22 seconds after they're made. Maybe we shouldn't. Go right to social media as soon as a trade is made. Say, well, Conroy got fleeced, or oh, well, that's an L, or oh my God, it was only that, or oh my goodness, the Devils took the Flames to the cleaners, or like maybe, maybe the hot take 47 seconds after a trade has been announced isn't the way to go. Maybe, maybe even a month in to a trade with with game action is a little too early to be determining winners and losers. Hell, maybe 41 games into the season, it's a little too early to determine whether or not there is a winner or a loser in a trade that was made in late June. Maybe, maybe it's better to let things play <laughs> out. You don't you don't always need to have a definitive hot take right off the bat. And I just remember the amount of people who were just tearing Conroy to shreds after that trade in June. I remember how many people were... Remember the text line reaction? Yes, I do. And and it was Vickers and Steinberg are homers. You guys are clowns. How can you... You guys are just... uh, You guys are just defending the team. All that type of stuff. And it took like 20 minutes for us to stop getting kicked in the teeth. Because my initial reaction was huh, that's interesting, to fully wanted seven years. And so they couldn't move him and basically told him it's seven years or trade me. So they went trade him. And they got a 25-year-old guy who was coming off a down year and a third-round pick. Huh, that seems pretty good. Look at what Taylor Hall brought in. Look at what a couple of other uh, 30-plus-year-old forwards got. The Flames got more than that. I think that's a pretty decent and price. And didn't have to eat salary. Didn't have to eat a single dollar. And uh, I, was, I thought to myself, all right. That seems like a decent price. Let's see how this played out. But no, a text line was on. Oh, you guys stop flying the flag. You guys are idiots. It took like 20 minutes for you and I to stop getting kicked in the teeth on the draft floor in Nashville with nobody in that building until text finally started coming in and say, okay, settle down. This is not that bad. And I guess it's just a lesson. Maybe you don't need to t- make a hot take on a trade 20 seconds after it's made. Maybe there's reason to let it play out because to Foley having a really good year in New Jersey, yep. that's been a great fit. Sharon Govich having a really good year in Calgary. It's turned out to be a really good fit. He looks like an absolute sniper right now. Let's let's let it can. You know what else? I'm not willing to make a crown up for Conroy and say, you have won this trade either because there's still half a season to play out. We don't know what's going to happen with Toffoli. We don't know how many more years Sharon Govich is going to be here. He's UFA in a year. And like, you can't judge something. It's like people giving draft grades on the draft floor. <laughs> well, these guys, well, the flames, uh, the flames struck out in the, uh, well, clearly Pittsburgh has won this draft with this guy that I've seen play once. So clearly I know that like, anyway, I digress. 
I just want to go back to that day and emphasize, you know, you're, you're looking at the trade as it happens and you're going, the Flames are banking on Sharon Govich being the guy that he was in his first two years in the NHL where he had 16 goals in 54 games as a rookie. As a sophomore at 24 and 76, the Flames were banking on him being that more than the guy that had 13 and 75 last year. And lo and behold, as you mentioned, he's on pace for 33 goals now on pace for and has scored are two different things. And as you mentioned, there's still 40 games left to play for the Calgary Flames. And then there's another season on top of that, because if he does hit that 30 goal mark, is he a 30 goal scorer or a guy that just happened to score 30 goals? Because there's that debate as well. But I guess the moral of the story, which you're trying to get to, is don't judge it in the minute that it happens. You can react to it, but maybe don't judge. And there'll be deals that go the exact opposite way. Like there's going to be just by nature of trading, there's going to be some you win, some you lose, some you tie. Just so happens that this isn't the landslide loss that the text line was declaring back in June. Yeah. And that's that is my main point is that. Jeez, Take uh, your victory lap, Steinberg. I, it's not even me because I, all I said was I don't mind the pro- I, I don't mind that trade. Okay, let's see how it plays out, and that's what we're doing. We're well, continuing to let it play out. The important thing is, and I, I said this on air. I'm sure New Jersey comes to Calgary once a year. I would have seen Sharon Govich at max two or three times. Not watching Sharon Govich when New Jersey comes through up until that point, so I didn't really give any feedback on the player he was. But you can see through the first two seasons of his career, that's who the Calgary Flames were hoping they were going to get. And lo and behold, they might have got a little bit more than that. I just remember Craig Conroy said, "Good, great shot, good penalty killer, similar even strength points to Toffoli, can play all of the uh, can play all of the forward positions. Good two way player, just needs more of an opportunity. We believe, and he'll have a much better offensive season. Kinda so far, every single one of those things has come to pass. Maybe the pro scouting staff." check their boxes and maybe the devil's pro scouting staff said we think to a better fit than Sharon Govich was and that's probably true too because to Foley's having sometimes trades can work out for both sides anyway we got to get out of here uh round tables next we're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's basement systems downtown studio crack foundation Boeing foundation walls they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation contact basement systems they're all things basement visit dlbasementsystems.com Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Friday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport at Steinberg. Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Let's start talking about uh, Jacob Markstrom as topic number one on this Friday Roundtable because uh, with his 33 save performance Thursday uh, in Arizona, Jacob is back above the 500 mark on his personal record for the first time. And I went and checked and double checked with my poor counting uh, for the first time since game one of the season, he has not been above uh, the, uh, the 500 mark on his win loss record since he won game one against Winnipeg. The best he's gotten since there is back to 500. Um, he's now up to a nine ten save percentage guys. That's the highest it's been this season as well. So guys, a lot of the, traditional numbers are starting to catch up to Jacob Markstrom in a good way. A lot of the other underlying numbers have painted a, a really positive picture about him already, but it's uh, it's it's good to see some of these more traditional numbers start to catch up to him as well. It, it certainly is. I think he's been good since the start of the season, but if you look at his splits, October and November compared to December and January, they're night and day. I think that's probably more about how the team was playing in front of him in October and November. I mean, the Flames had a new general manager, a new head coach, uh, some new assistant coaches, a bunch of new players. But maybe more important than any of those things, and this does relate to the new head coach, Ryan Huska, but they changed the way they played in the defensive zone, going from man-on-man to zone. And it took quite some time, I would say a month, maybe two, for the forwards and defensemen how to to figure out how to play that system without having to think about having to play that system. 
where should I be? What should I be doing? So I think the team in front of Jacob Markstrom figured things out a month or two into the season. And again, if you look at his split, so in October and November, six, seven, and two with a 2.93 goals against average and an 897 save percentage. Not terrible, but I remember saying the first two months of the season, I think Jacob Markstrom is playing better than the numbers would lead you to believe. And then you look at his splits in December and January. 6-4-0 with a 2.23 goals against average and a 9.27 save percentage. For me, those numbers are way more reflective of how Jacob Markstrom has played from October to January. Uh, I, I just think the team's playing better in front of him, and, and that probably makes life easier for him and Dan Vladar as well. But he's played really well all season, uh, definitely really, really well in December and January. And it's it's been good to see him get rewarded for the hard work he did physically and mentally during the offseason and for how he's well how well he's played since the puck dropped this season back in, in early October. I've sort of been trumpeting all season that for me he's been the Calgary Flames MVP and that's including the struggles of the team as a whole through October and part of November. And just even though the stats didn't really bear it out, I remember having this discussion. I was going to call it an argument, but Pat and I, we, we see eye to eye on this, I think, fairly fairly closely, where he was still even at like an 898 save percentage, so still sub 900. And I was willing to argue that Jacob Markstrom had been the Calgary Flames' best player. And lo and behold, and Wilsey, you kind of laid it out there with the defensive zone structure tra- change, pardon me, and adaptation and things sort of rounding out a little bit. Well, now the sort of baseline or basic goaltending stats are starting to highlight the fact that Jacob Markstrom is trending into top 10 territory. Minimum 15 games for NHL starters. He's 13 with that 2.65 goals against. 15 in that 15th, pardon me, of the 9-10 save percentage. He's in the 98th percentile in high danger chances still, which he's basically been in the top 90th percentile all season long. But I also go back to a conversation that Pat and I had with Kevin Woodley of In Goal Magazine. He's also my NHL.com correspondent mm-hmm. brother. And he laid out some interesting stats that we don't have access to that actually paint an even rosier picture for Jacob Markstrom to the point that Kevin believed that Jacob Markstrom, and this is before he's hitting 9-10 save percentages and 2-6-5 goals against, which are above his career averages at this point, by the way. Kevin was suggesting that you know, in a hypothetical situation, if the season were to have ended last week, there's a case to be made for Vesna trophy buzz for Jacob Markstrom. Didn't declare him the winner or anything like that, but consideration of a nomination for Jacob Markstrom in terms of the Vesna trophy conversation. And I'm going to lean on Kevin. Like he runs in goal magazine, a goalie focused publication praising Jacob Markstrom for the work he's done that go beyond just the basic stats you'll see on NHL.com. And I'm going to tip my hat to him because the eye test matches the numbers that he had. And I think just overall, Jacob Markstrom's regular numbers are showing that he is, again, a top 10 goaltender in the NHL. Yeah, and I just, guys, I, I just think it's a it's a good thing to see that it, it has taken a step in the, in the traditional numbers because... I just it, it frames a lot of of some of the it, it can get frustrating sometimes when and this is just me being selfish in a lot of ways but it can get frustrating sometimes when you're taking phone calls or responding to texts and yeah but I mean his save percentage is X and I mean and it's like okay but I I do think sometimes the traditional numbers need to put in context, especially when you're talking about a lot of other things, underlying numbers or Wilson, you talk about the team playing in front, uh, in front of them. And, and so it's just nice that now you're starting to see the traditional numbers start to catch up and, and add just a little bit more ammo to the whole conversation. I don't know where it's going to go from here. I don't know how much better they're going to go. Do they flatline? Do they dip? I don't know. I just know that, He's been really solid for him all year. He's been one of their MVPs this year. And now we're talking about him back. And and maybe the thing that is the, the most encouraging is the fact that the whole idea of the body of work usually speaks louder than the one bad season or the one incredible season. Well, there's another really good example of it. Where is he? What, what have we talked about for the longest time? Yeah, you know what? Probably the Vesna runner-up year, he'll probably never have a year quite as good as that. And probably the year that followed, 
yeah, he's never had a, a year that bad, so that's probably not going to be repeated either. Pretty good chance that the body of work where he's been about a 9-10 goaltender throughout his entire career, he's got a pretty good chance of getting back to that after a really down year where every, every number one goalie has a, da- a down year. And it kind of has been proven so far through this season that, yeah, last year was a down year. And what we're seeing from him, he's still a very capable number one goalie in this league. Yeah, while I agree with you that last year was a down year for Jacob Arkstrom and for Dan Vladar, I would also argue that the team in front of them didn't play as well as they did the previous season. I don't think it's a coincidence, guys, that both Markstrom's save percentage and Vladar's save percentage absolutely plummeted last season. The Flames didn't give up a lot of shots, but when they gave up a chance, it was almost always a great A. And that's going to kill a goaltender's save percentage. And over time, I think it's probably going to kill or at least hurt a goaltender's confidence, which makes it harder to stop the puck. So, yeah, Jacob Markstrom is is back this season to where he was for a number of seasons prior to last season. Uh, again, I don't put it all on the goalies last year. Could they have been better? Yes. Uh, but the team could have been better in front of them, too. And, again, that's why I think the splits this season are so important because I think the team's been a lot better in front of the goaltender in most games since the start of December than they were in the months of October and November. And if you look at Jacob Markstrom's numbers over the last couple of months, again, since the start of December, he is sixth in the NHL in goals against average and fifth in save percentage. And I look at him when he's on his game, and he's been on his game for most of the season as a top five goaltender in this league. So he's back to where he wants to be, to where the team needs him to be. And I give the guys in front of him credit too. Flames give up more shots, but they also block a lot of shots. Chris Tanev and Mackenzie Wieger amongst the league leader in block shots. I think they're both in the top five or six. And the Flames, way better structurally in the defensive zone right now, spending more time in the offensive zone, partly as a result of that. But he's also not just making saves. He's making big saves at important times in games. And sometimes that's probably something we don't talk enough about. Uh, Sometimes it's not how many saves it's that you make it's when you make those saves and he's making them at important times right now for his team it is our daily flames round table brought to you by mercedes-benz country hills with uh derek wills it's aaron vickers and my name is pat steinberg um gents uh, another strong night for both yegor sharon govich and jonathan huberdo on thursday in arizona um and ever since that line has been put back together with Elias Lindholm in the middle. It's looked better than it has really at, at any point um, at any point this season, any point since uh, all three guys have been on this team. Decent chance that Elias Lindholm is not here beyond the trade deadline. Decent chance he is moved elsewhere. But I want to focus on the guys that we know will be here, and that's Huberto and Sharon Govich. Even if Lindholm is not here beyond the trade deadline, how do we feel? What's our confidence level that Huberdo and Sharon Govich can remain a really nice pairing together? It's a really hard question for me to answer, Pat, without knowing who would be replacing Elias Lindholm. Because even though his numbers aren't where they've been offensively, he's still a really good 200-foot centerman and a really tough guy to replace. Would you replace him with Nazem Kadri? Would you replace him with Michael Backlund? Would you replace him with someone other than those two guys who's currently with the team or in the organization? Or would you replace him with someone from the outside? Uh, These are all questions that I would kind of need answers to to answer your question. I do think that there is a connection developing between Jonathan Huberto and Yegor Sharangovich. But I would also add that those two guys probably wouldn't be having the success that they're having together without Elias Lindholm helping them have that success with uh, his 200-foot game. So it really depends for me on who would replace Lindholm on that line between Huberto and Sharon Govich. I love the fact that you've got the Flames' best passer in Huberto setting up their best shooter in Sharon Govich. And for me, guys, with what I've seen in the first 42 games this season, there is no longer any question in my mind that Yegor Sharon Govich has this team's best shot, certainly amongst the forwards, I would say overall as well, and he definitely has the best one-timer on the team. So you put him together with a guy who can 
moved the puck and, and set him up better than anybody else. And it's a combination that should work. And right now it is working. It's been great to see Jonathan Huberto put up eight points in seven games since he snapped a career-long 12-game pointless streak. But Lindholm has been an important part of that as well. So, again, tough question for me to answer without knowing who you'd slip into that spot. Yeah, I think for me, just looking at it from uh, a sheer hypothetical situation, you've got your best playmaker, or at least in theory, your best playmaker in Jonathan Huberto. And as you mentioned, Wilsey, you have your best finisher in Sharon Govich. So I don't necessarily know whether or not the success would continue in terms of end zone possession, but I have no reason to believe that any sort of rush chance that is formulated with Huberto carrying the puck down the left side. You've got Sharon Govich coming down the right side. I think those rush chances and rush opportunities and high danger chances will still be there between the two, regardless of who the center is. My question would be, can you put somebody down the middle that can facilitate the defensive side of things so that that line isn't playing in their own zone uh, on a regular basis to afford the pair of Huberto and Sharon Govich to be able to do the things that they do in the offensive zone and then maybe complement the cycle or a little bit of the down low work. Um, but from a pure, how is the left winger jiving with the right winger on that line? I think it's suffice it to say over the course of the last, I don't know, how long have they been together? Five-ish games? Seven, little, little games. seven games seven now? Games, oh, it's yeah. worked for both of them and nothing that I've seen has led me to believe that if you swap out the center, that's going to completely crumble like a house of cards. Well, if neither of you will bite on my question, I'll, uh, I'm confident. I, 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 I said I was confident I mean, that I, their I'm, stuff would still go. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of like what I'm seeing. There's been, um, independent of Lindholm, there's been, I don't know, 10, 15 times, and you're like, okay, there's, uh, there's something there with, uh, with, with those two, and. I um I I can be pretty confident that whoever they would put there would be one of their better centers. So I I kind of feel like there is something building between those two guys and and something that can continue to build. And here's the other thing. I don't think it's completely out of the question that Sharon Govich at center is something that they wouldn't think about too. We've already seen him play center with decent-ish results in a lower depth chart role, and and I just know that it's it's something that has been kicked around at times um, going forward if they do have to uh, move on from Elias Lindholm, and and that is something that I think is is interesting to consider too. And now there's another easy way to keep Lindholm and Sharon Govich together. So. I don't know. I guess what I would say is, yeah, I, I am confident in the way this thing is um, is is growing independent of Elias Lindholm. And I think if you put a cadre there or anybody else down the middle, I, I think that you could continue to uh, see that be a nice hookup with those two guys. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world for me, if the Flames' top nine keeps playing like it's been playing, I don't want to break up the cadre and the kids' line. I don't want to break up the backbone line. I'd love to leave those two lines together, and if they do trade Elias Lindholm, find someone to slot in on the first line. And you know, I was listening to uh, the Flames Talk postgame show on my drive home to Cochrane last night and heard the caller suggest that when Jacob Pelche comes back, he'd like to see him on a line with Jonathan Huberto. So, okay, uh, even though there are too many hypotheticals for me to be confident that the Huberto-Sharon-Govich combination would work without Lindholm, Let's say they remove Lindholm from the equation. Uh, I think moving Sharon Govich to center would be interesting because, uh, as the caller last night pointed out, Lindholm was a right winger when he came to this team, and then he shifted to center and had success at both positions. Could you shift Sharon Govich to center and put Jacob Peltier on the right side of that line with Jonathan Huberto on the left? Would that work? Maybe. Maybe not. We know that off the ice and uh, with a smaller sample size on the ice, there's certainly been some chemistry between Huberto and Peltier since they've been on this team. So, uh, again, too many hypotheticals for me to really be confident uh, that it would work or wouldn't work. But uh, when you take a look at uh, the second and third goals that Yegor Sharangovich scored last night uh, on the first one, his 16th of the season, which was an even strength goal, Lindholm gets the second assist, Huberto the first assist. And then on the third one, which was his 17th goal of the season and completed his second career hat trick. Huberto got the second assist and it was a beauty. And then Lindholm made a perfect pass to get the first assist. So two of the three goals last night were those three guys connecting. So if you take one guy out of that equation, would it work? Maybe, maybe not, but uh, you got Huberto playing at a high level. 
Sharon Govich playing at a really high level, and I think Lindholm's game's kind of come around as well. Wilsey, would you flirt with putting Zary in the middle between those two and breaking up the Kadri and the kids line, or is that off limits for you? Nope. Not yet. Nope. Connor Zary is so comfortable right now playing on the left side of a line with Nazem Kadri and Martin Pospisil. And if I were going to change that line, and I wouldn't change it right now, why would you? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I would probably leave Zary and Kadri together and try someone else in Pospisil spot if that line fell off significantly. But no, I think it's a sweet spot for Zaria right now. It's his first season in this league. There's a lot of responsibility defensively in this system for the centermen. I think just let him keep doing what he's been doing, and, and that's play at a really high level without the puck and even more so with the puck, and he's been producing points. I think it's been great for Connor Zary to, to play in a line with a veteran player who's won a Stanley Cup and Nazem Kadri and, and let him take care of some of that heavy lifting. It's one of it's it's I think it's a super interesting conversation long term. Zary at center. I think there's yeah. a lot I think there's a lot there and a lot but yeah, I think I think right now you want to keep that line together for as long as you possibly can and and until it starts to give you indications that it shouldn't be together anymore, which I don't think it has as of yet, but both both Sharon Govich and Zary long term down the middle especially if Lindholm does end up getting dealt, that's a really interesting conversation to be had. And, and again, that's not a two weeks or even two months, but maybe that's a September, October conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. But that, that is, that's also really interesting. Uh, okay. One more game on this trip and then a six game homestand on Tuesday. We'll see you Saturday. Wilsey. Can't wait. Talk to you then. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport as we start to wrap things up this hour. Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thanks to Shan and Cam, our producers, this hour as well. Vicks, stay warm, buddy. And uh, <laughs> just, uh, just, just stay warm for me, okay? No promises, man. It's a long walk home in this weather. Dude, you're not walking, are you? I did. You are. Plus 15 is a beautiful thing in this town. That's well, true. this downtown. How far can you? I know where you live. How far can you get in that plus 15? Um, I can probably get to like City Hall and maybe say I'm not very well versed in the actual you're an idiot. where I can go. That's still a yeah, long. That's still no a dispute long. there. That's a no dispute there. Long walk, even if you can take it all the way to City Hall. Stay warm, then for real. Okay. Uh thanks, buddy. Have a good weekend. You too. That'll do it for the sports drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Did you know Calgary Lock and Safe also fixes doors? If you have one that needs it, visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com/slash/doors.